welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook podcast. Uh, excited to have Chris Whipple here. Chris, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Talk about aquatics, get our gills all wet. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I have uh, been in the aquatics field essentially since I've turned 15. So I kind of from that youth point became a lifeguard and a water safety instructor, came up through there. It was my high school job. It was my college job. And somewhere along that line, there are a few people that lined themselves up where it really was like, oh, this can be a job. I've worked in university recreation. I've worked for community centers at a JCC. I've worked for for-profit aquatic spots. Um, along those same lines, I've done probably any body of water you can think of to lifeguard or supervise or watch. It's been lakes and rivers and streams, a beach in California, uh, pools from really small little bodies of water up to Olympic size uh, competitive venues and seeing top notch swimmers. So I've been able to kind of see a little bit of everything um, across the board. Um, I've spent a good amount of my time really focusing on the lifeguarding aspect of the job, but have also um, worked supervising large teams of people. So I, I think one of my positions, it was about 125 full-time and part-time staff and staffing various pools. And so really get a lot of my energy drawn from working with a team of people and seeing kind of their growth within a bubble um, around the water and where they go into. Wow, that's great. So I started, like we were chitting, chatting before we started the episode, um, in aquatics. So my first job was a 15-year-old lifeguard swim instructor camp counselor. Because back in the day, they just crammed you all into one one box. So I, I, I miss my days of aquatics. I don't miss smelling like chlorine. I'll tell you that much. That was just three showers a day and you still smell like chlorine. So there was always an imbalance in the pool somewhere. <laughs> I feel like in the life of COVID though, it's not bad to have that extra chlorine floating around your system every once in a while. Definitely. You know. As long as it's outside your body, we're not going anywhere near the inside <laughs> of the body. There you go. So Chris, I mean, I, I would imagine, and I know a lot of people start off like you and I did, right? 15 year old lifeguard. Talk to us about what it's like going on right now in your pools or the pools you work with those young staff, how are they handling the situations, especially with some guards are guarding with masks on and, and all that fun stuff. You know, I think like most of those, it's like the, the students and employees that I'm working with just are incredibly resourceful in what they're coming up with is, you know, it's fascinating kind of in a step back from that, how we turn the realms over of a professional rescuer, somebody that's being held to that standard to a 15, 16, 17 year old to go out. And their real job is at the end of the day, being able to make life and death decisions and being able to make good choices around the water. And so, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time with the teams I've worked with being able to build up to being adaptable and not knowing what you're going to face in any given day. And so I think as, as this current situation is rolling around, it's just one more place where they're adapting and improvising and finding the best way to work for what, what they need to be able to keep us up and operational and still get people in the water, knowing there's a lot of value that comes behind that access to water. Yeah, I, when I think aquatics, Chris, I really think of training, right? I used to tell my staff when I was an aquatics director, you're, you're the frontline EMT because you're getting in the water, you're making the rescue, you're pulling them out. And depending on your service area, you know, it could be 10 minutes before 
EMS arrives. And so you need to train to that level. Talk to us a little bit about what programs are doing and training when that social distance needs to be still a component of, of how everybody's staying safe. Sure. I think when you're set up in there, the benefit of a lot of the training that we've, we've already set up is that our lifeguards are used to working with the personal protective equipment or their PPE on the job on a regular basis. So we're already, you know, involved with being able to get out resuscitation masks and having gloves on and understanding, you know, all of our lifeguards on an annual basis are going through bloodborne pathogens training and understanding where infection is going to come from. So this is just a carryover from that in a lot of ways. But like you, like you mentioned in aquatics, you know, the current recommendations are for any lifeguard who's working to get a minimum of four hours of training a month in to be able to keep those skills fresh and ongoing. So it's not something we can just put the brakes on and know you're going to be able to be thrown right back up into a lifeguard standard by the water and are going to keep everything um, fresh and going. So I think, you know, from that one, it really is trying to take advantage of you know, web options when we can and doing virtual trainings, being able to extend out to pieces. But at the end of the day, there still is a hands-on component. We've done a lot of our trainings where we've almost cohorted our staff. So it's the same small groups of people that are being able to come in and do um, trainings in Windows as opposed to rotating around our groups. The same small group of people are making rescues within themselves. Um, and then I think building a culture where if somebody is sick or is seeing, um, and, you know, seeing symptoms that are coming around to know that it's okay to not come to work. So even if you're, you know, you wake up and it's five o'clock in the morning, that it's okay for you to take the time off to not get others sick along the way as well. Hey, Chris, you mentioned a couple of things in there about your leadership and what you're doing to train and move folks along. So so I want to go back a little bit because you also talked about it being that 15-year-old lifeguard and learning. And I know that you're a part of, and I know I'm going to get it wrong, the Association of Aquatics Professionals. That's correct. Yeah. OAAP. Uh, and, uh, and you mentioned that, uh, uh, that, that, you know, somewhere along the line, you discover that you can make a full-time career out of this. Some of our listeners are younger folks who are, uh, you know, youth serving professionals. And, um, can, can you talk a little bit about that trail for you and, and how, uh, you've gone from being that 15 year old lifeguard to being the professional you are today as part of AOAP, uh, and, and providing all that, um, leadership and training to, 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 to young, uh, to the younger version of yourself. Yeah, sure. I think it takes us down kind of two different trails. So hopefully I'll be able to hit both of them. Um, the first one is path. Like I mentioned, I kind of got all of my certifications as soon as I could. So when I could become a lifeguard, I signed up and was there and I was in the water long before that the swim team by the beach, when you could get a day by the pool, I was going to take advantage of it from a really young age. And so I even think about how much of a role model those 15 year old, 16 year old lifeguards are, because I remember being that small kid and being able to look up at the lifeguard in the stand and see like, oh, that's really cool. I want to do that someday. Along the same lines, when I went to college, I remember the very first weekend that I was there, they were throwing a welcome party for one of the campus groups at the pool. And there were all these flashy activities. But to me, it was like, oh, 
these lifeguards seem like they have the neatest job on campus. They're working at this outdoor pool, all these people around, it's fun. And so I was really drawn into that. Um, and I ended up with a fantastic group of mentors that were there. So my lifeguard supervisor, Bruce, and his boss, Tom, are two people that career-wise for me just stand out as ones who noticed an interest in aquatics and this growing desire to get more certifications, become an EMT, draw on more experience, and helped field me into this idea of like, oh, I was taking classes in communication, but every communication thing I was doing was a project at the pool or a project about lifeguards or a project about safety is like, there really is a career in here for this for you. And so, you know, I, I attribute a lot of my time to being able for like those early mentors who were able to see just that little bit of a spark um, and grow from there. Transitioning to the like, how do you help the 15, 16, even through college age, where I was at is I, one of the ones that stood out to me most in my career is I have had more students who have left me to become um, either surgeons or rocket scientists than they have to gone into the aquatics field. So I think a lot of it is knowing um, that even if I'm putting in the time to create this like Rockstar Aquatics program, they don't have to leave knowing every itty bitty nuance of aquatics, but I'm training them to be better wholesome people and hopefully those elements of showing up for work on time having integrity with what you're doing really go a long way in um, kind of laying a foundation for a whole group of people I'm talking probably hundreds if not thousands of students and lifeguards and aquatic staff that I've worked with that have gone out to do really cool careers and honestly make a lot more money than I do um, but be able to see that hey my time as a lifeguard was really impactful on me to being able to get to something new I love that you draw the 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 character values of what you've learned into uh, the, the the leadership that you've passed on as well. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, I've had a uh, a rocket scientist as well emerge from my uh, camping background, uh, which is absolutely fascinating to me because he talks about things uh, to this day that I have no clue what he's talking about. Uh, but he talks about the same types of things: the character development he learned at camp and the decisions he made today in the work that he does so uh, that's a that, that's fantastic to hear that as well so this is really lines up to be the first job for a lot of those for the, a lot of those lifeguards off the bat and so I think a big portion of like my career has been spent not just laying out the expectation of you come you know you come to work but really having to teach a lot of the aspects that maybe common sense to me down the road but aren't necessarily intuitive of the you know, you have to show up on time and be in your uniform, but this is, you know, uh, this is where you clock in and no, you don't get your money the very first day that you work. You don't get cash that's over here. This is how that paycheck system. So there's a lot of learning that goes on, even when it's not specifically aquatics, that I think is really important. I think in any of those roles with that first or second time job and navigating that professional world for the first time that stand out quite a bit. I was once asked, Chris, who is FICA and why is he taking my money? I thought that was the best question ever. And you sit there and, you know, some, depending on your family background, I mean, it was ingrained in us as kids and my family, but not every family. Right. And so the, that's great. You could teach those life skills. I think those are important parts for true, true youth development professionals is to say, I'm here for you. Not that I'm going to replace a parent, but I'm here to support you in that way. And sometimes, and, and, having those opportunities to say, you know, being on time for your nine o'clock shift is not showing up and punching in at nine o'clock. It's being on deck in your uniform in whatever position you're supposed to be at nine. So you got to be here at 845 to get ready for the nine o'clock shift. And so those things are, 
those rules. So how are, how do you manage that process? Like you have that 17, 18, 19 year old first job, right? Let's face it. I got a 19 year old right now, Chris, it's time to get out of bed. If he doesn't have a timeline on that, it's 1130. And it's like, but I went to bed at three o'clock in the morning. It's time to get your butt up. So talk to me a little bit about how you manage those expectations for your staff yep. and how you implement them. Um, you know, I think there are a couple that stand out to me. One is working in the university bubble for sure. There's a lot of it that's very cyclical. So I can look at, uh, you know, the start of my fall semester was always a hard reset. So whether it was expectations or implementing your rules or doing changes, we were able to get into a work where um, they, they, everybody knew the exact same rules we were playing by when we started a semester. And whether you had been there as a fifth or a sixth or a seventh year senior or your first time on the pool deck with us, you were getting the exact same pieces of information and holding each other accountable. The second was building a team of leadership amongst the youth that were working on the staff. So our first and second line supervisors were all students that were at the university or students who were in the program. And so I find that peer accountability is a huge one in being able to do those. If it's me telling you something, it's the boss that's coming down and having words. But it, when, it's, when it's your friend that's saying, like, dude, Sam, you messed up today. I, you really can't do that again. That impacts all of us. That carries a message that's way more um, in place than I've ever seen. I think just building a leadership model within your staff goes a really, really long way to being able to both give them a pathway to succeed, show some growth within that job, but also to have every person from the first day person to the longest tenured person to have growth, but also to hold accountability for what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back after this. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Expert Online Training. Al, you've used Expert Online Training. Tell us about it. I have. I've been a past user and, and, and a big fan of Expert Online Training. Different topics and presenters that they have really are worthwhile in tailoring training to your specific camp teams in so many different ways. If you're interested in Expert Online Training, go to expertonlinetraining.com and check them out. So we're back with uh, Chris Whipple, who's talking about his leadership in the aquatics uh, youth development world and uh, some really great stuff, Chris. Uh, what, one of the things I want to know is, is, is there something that you learned uh, and gained as a 15, 16, 17-year-old that you're still doing today as a result of that lesson uh, from maybe a mentor from, from your, your skill development? Uh, what, what types of things do you practice today that you were doing as a 15, 16 year old? I know one that jumps out to me is like the rule setting around the pools. And so I know as a young employee, there would be kind of your long list of items that, that don't do this, you have to do this. And I knew at the time, I didn't always understand why we were doing what we were doing. I think that shaped a little bit behind how I try and work with the staff to understand some of the rules and get to that depth. But it certainly is one where when I look at my career now, 10 or 15 years down the road, I have these aha moments where it was like, oh, my boss was definitely in the right by making this rule, even if at the time I thought it was the silliest thing in the world, or this doesn't make sense, or I'm not following that rule as soon as they leave the pool deck. And it's like, no, no, this is here for a reason. I think that's even come full circle. I remember having a conversation with a student employee after I'd left. And as a young professional, he came to me and said, oh, and the after hours, we would, uh, you know, my friends and I were thinking about coming back to the pool and I left with this like, la la la, don't tell me what's going on. And I 
a few years later, he came back to me and he's like, you know, I was looking for you to tell me like, don't do this. This is the wrong thing to do. And to be able to step up and say, you know, it's okay to stand by your principles and your rules and not to let the stuff go because the rules are really there in place for a reason. And I think especially with the that safety element being number one around the water, it really is important to make sure that you, if you don't understand why you're doing something, ask, but don't just assume that the person above you is making a bad decision for the sake of making a bad decision or making your life harder for the sake of making it harder. That's, that's a great lesson to take away. I'm curious uh, in, in your aha moments that you, you, you stated just now, uh, what's the most difficult lesson that you've taken away from, uh, uh, from uh, working in, in, uh, as a youth development professional in, uh, in the aquatics field? I think with that one, it really is that, uh, you know, I've, I come from a very like team focused and student development mindset, especially the time in the university is that growth per like trying to get to growth and to know that the student you get as a first year student and the student who graduates are typically very, very different people over the kind of the, the course of the time. And I think one of my takeaways is like, you can't necessarily help everyone, but you're going to have an impact on everyone from where they are. So even if it's the employee where you've done all the educational things you can, you've gone through the sequencing, you've had to terminate an employee to know that that's probably just as valuable in their experience as it is to not, you know, to, to just let things slide or let things move through the gap. I think being able to make sure that your impact still exists, even if you don't get the outcome that you want. That's fantastic. Uh, there's, there's a great John Maxwell quote uh, that says, uh, change means traveling in uncharted waters. Uh, and this causes our securities to rise. And it's kind of what you just described for us. Uh, so I, 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 I'm always impressed by uh, the lessons that we learn typically are the lessons that we needed to learn because they were the hardest thing that we've had to do. Uh, do you agree with that? Is, is, is there more of that, that that emerges for you? No, I certainly agree with that. I think you know, along that way, I think the other one that stands out to me is really just this idea of like, just dive in. So as your opportunities come along in your path, like you should be taking advantage of what's there, you should be providing opportunities for the youth that you're working with to grow. And I, I find in my mind, every time I've thrown out a challenge to do something hard or to rethink the way that we're doing something or trying to get um, you know, a new role in place, the more ownership I can give to the, like the frontline employees, the more decision-making that can go to that point um, really goes a, a long way for that one. And so I think sometimes just being comfortable in allowing to build trust by giving people the trust to give their space is uh, a huge one, at least for my philosophy by the water. Yeah. Hire them, train them, and then get out of their way so that they can do their job that you, you've equipped them for. So uh, yep, fantastic absolutely. lessons. So. Chris, now we've been talking about training and developing the young staff. Where do you see, uh, you're just starting Whipple Aquatics and Safety, right? And that's a new business Correct. for you. So talk to us a little bit why, right? And where you are now and where do you see yourself in six months to a year? Sounds great. Yeah. So I'm really excited to get Whipple Aquatics and Safety off the ground and running where this is my kind of 2020 COVID blessing to have a little bit more time and take a pipe dream from the last few years um, and get it up and running. The goal is going to be able to take advantage of uh, my time working in aquatics. I've also spent um, the last probably 10 plus years as an instructor, instructor trainer for the Red Cross. Um, I now work with their academies and teach the instructor trainers to become instructor trainers. So as an educator and 
uh, was a subject matter expert writing the last revision of the lifeguarding manual. So I think it's going to be to get a local platform for uh, or local and regional platform for training lifeguards and CPR health and safety skills and steps, but then to also really branch out to be an aquatics resource for um, small pools and big facilities and summer camps and local backyard operations. And my end goal is to try and figure out how do I get to a spot where there are zero drain drownings that are out in the environment? How do we make the water as safe as possible, but then to also get as many people as possible access to the water as well? You know, it's in spending the number of years around swim lessons, it, it being able to have access to the water, being able to learn to swim reduces drowning statistics significantly. significantly. Um, and so really getting to a spot where I can take my experience and be able to make as many safe aquatic outings as possibly can happen. Chris, awesome. are, you, are, are you seeing um, a, a rise or a fall or is it steady uh, growth uh, or lack of growth in leadership in aquatics? Uh, it, it, it seems like in, in the last, um, I don't know, five or six years as I've worked with different uh, camps and different organizations, they're always like, gosh, we can't, we got to find some, uh, a really good aquatics director, or we got to find, uh, you know, more aquatic staff. Uh, almost like there's a decline there. Uh, I know that's anecdotal from where I live and where I work. I'm wondering if you're seeing it across the board, across the country as well. No, I, I think there certainly is, I think, and that's on all different levels. I think that there are a lot of areas that struggle with finding good lifeguards and swim instructors, especially as, um, you know, different jobs change when I have a zero tolerance for cell phones on the lifeguard stand at all, or I'm, uh, you know, a, a teen or an early 20s person to show up for a job and spend four hours away from their phone where they can't have it on them, they can't check it, they can't look at it, we can't do anything, that's going to be an instant um, termination item. It's a real hard sell when they're making 50 cents less to work at the front desk, but they can have their phone below, below the counter and sneak a peek here or do something else. And so I think from that level of there, and I think in aquatics, there also is a threshold in a lot of organizations where if you want to move up, your aquatics piece doesn't necessarily, you know, there's, there's not a huge path for growth. So you move on from being the aquatics director to an associate director or an executive director or, or moving into a role that you need to have that background. So I, I firmly believe that the aquatics people, the, like my peers and colleagues in the institution make the absolute best employees because we do it all. It's risk management, it's budgeting, it's staff pieces, it's programming, it's maintaining the facilities, it's getting nitty gritty with the chemicals in the pump room when it goes wrong. And you're probably doing every single one of those almost every day. We would make the absolute best leaders and directors and staff that are out there. But in order to do to take those big roles, it means we're leaving our aquatic sandals behind and having to go put on real shoes. And I'm never a big fan of that. Nobody <laughs> wants to wear. Nobody wants to wear a tie. I'm just saying, from two camp guys, you nobody wants to wear a tie. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I. This is one of the questions we ask all our guests. So and and I want you to think a little bit of, of uh, your Whipple Aquatics and Safety and filling those gaps that you were just talking about. Uh, in leadership. Can, can you tell me, uh, imagine yourself 18 months from now and we're past, uh, hopefully we're past and have a new world of uh, after COVID. Uh, what would uh, Chris 18 months from now say to Chris today about what's occurred for you and Whipple Aquatics and Safety? Well, that's a hard question. I've spent a bunch of time as we're getting the business off the ground trying to figure out that plan and where to spend the time. I think the big one is that we're making an impact on uh, getting frontline staff 
trained and exposed, whether it's a CPR class for a brand new mom who's bringing the baby home or being able to get more lifeguards in the field or being able to go to a, a pool that isn't sure if they can run for the, the year or aren't sure if they have the right rules in place or have that background um, that we can really help provide for gaps that are in the industry that keeps camps up and running and be able to keep that water in place is able to keep our community pools staffed and ready to go and is able to keep our community as a whole safer, safer with a true impact. You know, I, a big piece of that reflection for me is that I've had water in my life in some way, shape or form since as long as I can remember. So whether it was at Boy Scout camp or a summer camp out in California or um, swim team in the winters, there, that water piece has always been there. So how to take my passion and love for that and be able to share it with anybody who's willing to listen or tag along or get to water, I think is a huge one for me. Awesome, Chris. So now the next question I'm going to have for you is we're, we're both camp guys. We run after school programs, summer camps, all that jazz. Talk to us a little bit about that relationship, how you see positive relationships go on that director to director level and how do, how do you manage it from your end? Yep. So I, I come from that from certainly a different perspective. You know, I, as I mentioned, I, I came up through camps, both as a camper and as a camp counselor and have worked it in aquatics at a handful of different camp settings. And so to me, I was able to, I think, appreciate both sides of that coin of like the, the value of kids going to camp and what they take away. And even, you know, to think back to everything from my playlist to what I listen to music every day to some of the best memories stand out as either time around a campfire or near that, that waterfront or getting to some element. So I, I'm like on camp hook, line and sinker. So it's, you know, it's a lot easier to be able to navigate with those. I think we had talked about this offline a little bit, but the idea that I think camp people and aquatics people get each other because you tend to be the jack of all trades or you can be able, you're expected to know your job, but then you also have to do all these other tangents that are just sort of there. And so I think being able to build towards that common goal and then understand how do we all play together in, that, in, in our same pool. So how do we make space for all of our programs to work, knowing we're all working towards that, that common good? Yeah. And I'll support it from the camp side of it. I tell everybody every year, every staff training for 30 years, what happens on the pool deck, whatever the lifeguard says, goes period end of story we'll deal with the issue later but health and safety is that number one two and three priorities for me and you know i have the one a conversation with a good friend of mine who was an insurance company and we were talking about adding some skateboard park one year i had this beautiful half pipe somebody was bringing it in donating it and i said what kind of insurance implications does this bring and he goes michael you got a pool right and i go yeah and he goes I don't care about a half pipe. <laughs> he's like, he's like the way we think about it. Insurance is somebody can get hurt on the half pipe. Somebody's going to die in the pool. And so that's the severity of the situation as we go through things. And so we, that next level in the aquatics is very important. And, and the health and safety, as we put 15, 16 year olds in charge of pools, we need to make sure that we support them through everything we do. I agree. I think that jumps into the idea of, well, you really have to put in place that like a solid training plan. You know, if we're talking about camps, you know, a lot of camps will do their required training at the very beginning of the, the season and then not go back and touch their lifeguards again. And if you're going that long without getting in and actually practicing your rescues or working as a team or seeing how that dynamic goes, um, it really is a setup where you should rethink kind of what you're doing around the water. It is by all means, my job is not life or death most days, but I don't want the days where it is life or death. And so we, I put a tremendous amount of my time and effort into making sure that we're prepared for every situation that's going to pop up. But also there's 
a huge preventative piece behind our job that we're going to do everything we can to make everybody safe so that your experience comes away. I still think that you're going to remember the water from camp more than anything else. And, um, but I, to know that it's always going to be that positive experience that comes out of it and build that up. And so the more of the camp directors or leaderships that can get on board, I actually did one of the local camps I work with here to lead up to the summer. They finally made the decision that camp director staff were going to all go through lifeguard training to see what the expectations were. And so they're, camp director and program director and youth services director all they brought all their team in to do lifeguard training just to be able to say oh this is more than just I showed up with a swimsuit and I'm ready to go for a day and I changed their perspective for setting up for camp to say we're not only going to give them more training but I respect them when they do tell me we need x y and z or we have to find money for this or my lifeguard needs a break because of that I think owning that piece goes a really long way. And, and I don't think I don't think I could bang out that 500 anymore. I'm just telling you. It's only 300 yards now, so you got a little bit less. Oh, oh, a little oh, oh. You're in the water. You thought you'd get out of it, but I, I've got a pool ready for you if you're going to oh, make your way to Minnesota. Uh, I don't. I think my first visit to Minnesota probably should be something different than banging out a 300 in your pool. But <laughs> decades ago, I was a lifeguard for a decade. Uh, and I remember going to, um, uh, and this was in Southern California, uh, going with my friend Dave. He wanted to work for the, uh, for the county, uh, for Orange County Lifeguard uh, on a beach. And it's, it's a three-day tryout uh, to do that. And I went and I made it through about two-thirds of the first day. He made it into the next morning of the second day. And then, uh, you know, you, you start out with a thousand people and I think they hire 50, you know, who are the 50 who survived the three-day uh, job interview, so to speak. So um, uh, just a, absolutely fascinating stuff that, uh, uh, that, that happens. And I love that you talk about uh, putting people through uh, that training as well at the beginning of, of, of camp. So I, I, I don't have a question. I'm just rambling at this point in time. So I apologize. That, that's half this. That's half the podcast right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sorry. That's usually so. when people hit that 10 second jump part and we're on the I, podcast. I, yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I, I am curious. Uh, uh, so in, in your training, so uh, which one do you pick? YMCA uh, lifeguarding, Boy Scouts of America lifeguarding, Red Cross lifeguarding, or Ellis? What, what's your favorite? So I, my entire career I've spent in with Red Cross being the primary one. I'm again, I'm a little bit biased because I helped write the current manual that's out and served as a subject matter expert for that piece. But honestly, you know, I've been, um, I've been Boy Scout trained um, in the past. As, that was my initial foray and my introduction into a lifeguarding um, and worked at Boy Scout camps along the way between Ellison Associates. Starguard is one you didn't mention as a great lifeguarding oh, yeah, um, opportunity out there yeah. in YMCA. I honestly think each of the programs does some things really, really well and has some areas where it's like, oh, I don't quite know why you got there, but I'll investigate it more. Um, I think the big one is getting oriented by the water. So, and you know, any of those options are going to set you up for success around the water. I also honestly believe your aquatics facility is only as good as your management that's going to be leading it as well. So any of those certs fall by the wayside if you don't have somebody to hold them accountable for your space that's there. So you, regardless of which one you go out and get trained with, if you don't have accountability on the pool deck or on your waterfront or at your beach area, it, all that training is going to go out the window if, you, if the staff aren't being held to the standards they're being taught in the class. Hey, Chris, and I would recommend, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, if you're deciding to go one way, right, if you're going to be an Ellis, then then your whole program should be Ellis or you're all Red Cross, right? Or, or uh, that may have changed from years ago, but we used to say don't mix your certs, right? Because what you do may be a little different than what I do on shift. 
They certainly are interesting. I, as, in terms of a facility, I would train your staff for your facility to one standard or at least train together as a group to know what you're going to expect from where they are. And so, you know, we, I had a great facility when I was working in Maryland um, that was our like partners next door used Ellison Associates for their training. But I knew the supervisor who was doing all that training trained his staff and held them to a really high standard. So I wouldn't ever hesitate to hire somebody that was coming over from that group to join into my staff um, because I knew what they were going to get. But then I also knew that I had to train them back to say, when you start to work in this group rescue, when you're by yourself, I don't care what it takes for you to go get a person and get them to the surface and get, get the airway starting to happen. But when we join up as a team of the secondary guard and our additional guards that are joining the group, that everybody's going to fire the exact same way. We've trained for it. We've trained for it. We've trained for it. That repetition piece is huge. Um, and so everybody knows, you know, rescuer three is going to go grab the AED and the bag valve mask. This person is going to get the airway. This person is responsible for calling 911. And that team fires kind of back to that like pit crew model that's being taught with CPR now. Everybody has a job and is able to do what they need to be able to do um, to be successful for where they are. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and talking about aquatics with us. Uh, tell us how can people check you out, give us your website, how to reach out to you. Sure, I'll do a couple of things in this one. The first one is just the idea that drowning still maintains its place as one of the largest rates of death for kids anywhere from the age of zero to 14. Um, and so access to the water and teaching them to swim is huge. And so being able to get to access to swim lessons or even get them by the water is great if you can't swim, float them in life jackets, but still get them access to the water. Um, I work with the Association of Aquatic Professionals, and so I really would highly check out in any environment where you even have access to the water, go check out the organization. Um, it's aquaticpros.org, um, but they have a pathway for, if you're interested in aquatics, to become an aquatics professional with a designation that's in place and a good pathway to grow your career. If you're somebody young in the field and lining up, what search should I really get? They have a Respect the Water campaign, which is a great training for both kids and adults that are by the water, just parents, and that's free and able to be used for anyone that's a combo of videos and lessons, and you can use that to build in with your staff, as well as for anyone who's a member, um, you have access to apply for quarterly swim lesson as well as life jacket grants. So if you need a life jacket for your summer camp, if you pay the, I think it's $40 membership, you are eligible to apply for, um, to get a number of life jackets back for your facility. So certainly check that out. Again, it's uh, aquaticpros.org. Um, for those, otherwise, if you're trying to find me, you can look at whippleaquatics.com. Um, find information, like uh, Mike had said, we're still building some things out. So the website is still rough, but we're gonna get more and more information. And you can certainly get a hold of me there. Well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, stay safe, stay dry as best as you can in the aquatics world. And uh, everybody hang out. We'll be right back after this. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. All right. Welcome back, everybody. That was a great interview with Chris Whipple. I really enjoyed learning about what's the latest updates in aquatics. Al, tell me what you learned today. You know, uh, Chris had some uh, some. Uh, quotable moments there I you know uh, when he was talking about his aha moments and how team focused they are but really uh, you know and, and it, it it goes to my my one of my favorite John Maxwell quotes is uh, about leadership everything rises and falls on leadership and Chris said it your aquatics facility is only as good as the management that's that's running it and uh, you know uh, how how 
it's just an absolute truism. It, it is a law of leadership that, uh, you know, whatever team, whatever work you're doing, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it, it seemed that uh, Chris just exuded that uh, throughout the entire interview. So I, I'm really grateful for that uh, uh, exhibition of that quote. My takeaway from today was, you know, he said it a couple of times in a couple of different ways, but when he was young, as a young 15, 16 year old lifeguard, he would look up to the aquatics directors as role models. And I think that's important, whether it's in aquatics or camp or after school or preschool or wherever you're working in is finding the, the right people doing the right things and learn, right? Even if it's just sitting in a guard chair, which I've clocked many hours sitting in a guard chair, but just seeing how your supervisor moves around the deck and checks in on you and, and, and engages with you is really, really important and, and can be inspiring. So that was really great to hear an aquatics point of view. Um, we hope you are staying healthy and well, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.